Hello, everybody. Sorry for the delay here on Just for Sport. But we're here. We're live for the Props Network on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. Jamoke Davis, this is Just for Sport. We got a lot to get into today. NFL Week 9. History was made that has never been made before in Pittsburgh Steelers history, which was quite amazing. Quite amazing. The Buffalo Bills made history, or rather tied history, which I was surprised by. Um, Some history may be coming down the line for Notre Dame, which will be in my Devil's Advocate segment. And also, Bono's College Football will be here to talk about a lot. Clemson, Notre Dame, BYU, Florida, and of course, Pitt FSU. We'll talk about that. And the Masters starts on Thursday, or will it? Weather's not looking too good down in Georgia. We'll see how that goes. We'll talk about the Masters. And in Major League Baseball offseason, you know, I know we could talk platinum glove, gold glove, all of that stuff. Uh, But I want to talk about the Red Sox. They did something that I really didn't expect them to do. And I'm actually kind of disappointed. A little disappointed. Just a little bit. And sports you don't care about. I don't even know about it. Pro Foot Volley Tour. Did you know that's a thing? Did you know that's a thing? And I'm sure you're like, what is that? Well, we'll get to it later. But first, as we start our segment, uh, Bo is going to be on... He can chime in whenever. You never know when he's going to chime in. Maybe he agrees with me and wants to double down on it or he disagrees. I don't know, Jim, okay? But he'll be on, popping in and out. Uh, But first, of course, how did I do last week's picks? Last week's picks. Green Bay, San Francisco. I figured Green Bay would win that game. 34-17 was the final score. I got that one right. I got that one right. Seattle Buffalo. The Bills won 44-34. I got that one completely wrong. I just never expected the Well, here's the thing. Okay, first of all, first, let me back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. And I'll get into it in the NFL segment, but I guess to just simply say, when a team scores 34 points, We can't say, which was my thing that was concerning about Seattle, is, oh, well, they traveled east to west to east, and that that would be a problem. But that can't possibly be a problem when you score 34 points. But the Bills score 44, they win. So I didn't have that one right. Baltimore, Indiana. I thought Indiana would win that game. I really did. Definitely uh, the Ravens handled the Colts 24 to 10. And Tampa Bay, New Orleans. I didn't see New Orleans only scoring three points. Like, that was very unexpected. But the first play from the game, first play from the game, the Saints defense, they hit Tom Brady and almost sacked him first play of the game. And I was like, oh, this isn't a good way to start. This isn't a good way to start. But then again. We didn't have a good way to start the show today, but we made it through it. Now we're here. 
Started from the bottom, now we're here. I know it's kind of an old song, but still one of my favorites. Still one of my favorites. But I just, I don't know. Like when I think of that game, I just never expected New Orleans to be that poorly. But I got to give a shout out to my dad. They said Manchester United would win three to one. Cooling some of the heat from their manager. My brother Ramu said that Jamie Vardy would play a big role in Leicester City. They won one nothing off of a goal scored by Jamie Vardy. Man City Liverpool was a tie, 1-1, so I guess that's kind of a wash. Kind of a wash. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. You win some, you lose some. And we're going to get into week nine in the NFL. This is Just for Sport, Props Network. And before we do that, we got to read. Are you located in a state with legal online sports betting? Don't make a bet this season before you visit thepropsnetwork.com. Thepropsnetwork.com has you covered with free bets and special bonus deals from all the top U.S. online sportsbooks. Get $30 free bets and up to $600 risk-free at Unibet. Or you can claim up to a $1,000 signing bonus bundle from DraftKings Sportsbook. Or try the Pointsbook Sportsbook with four risk-free, yes, that's four risk-free bets totaling up to $1,000 using the promo code bonus props. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Three, three good options for you right there. All from the Props Network, which is the also the only betting site, the only betting site with live NFL odds for every game. So you can shop the comps and know you are getting the biggest payout possible before you lock in your bet. Do your bankroll, do your bankroll a favor and check out the propsnetwork.com. You must be 21 or over to bet online. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER today. I've got a problem with words. I'm like stumbling all over myself today. Please forgive me. Please forgive me, everybody. All right, week nine in the NFL. And we are going to start with the greatness that is the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. And frankly, you know, I don't know. Maybe they don't think of themselves as a great team. And I say that because Mike Tomlin is the type of coach that doesn't seem to let his players get ahead of themselves. He just doesn't do it. The Steelers are 8-0 for the first time in franchise history. The first time in franchise history. And here's a quote from Mike Tomlin. Quote, I'm really proud of our football team, 8-0 for the first time in franchise history. Franchise history. We're humbled and honored to be that group. It's not without its trials today, obviously. Some of it was created by us. We've got a group that sticks together and a group that's mentally tough and is able to preserve, persevere, excuse me, and is able to persevere. I'm thankful for that. But obviously, we can't have these conversations every week because one of these weeks, we're going to be doing it with an L if we're not careful. But we're thankful to win today. And that was a rough win. I mean, 24 to 19. The Steelers were favored by 14 points going into that game. 
And they trailed by 13 late in the game. Who was their starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys? To start the season, we had Dak Prescott. There was a possibility that they had a great backup quarterback who used to be on the Buffalo, uh, on the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And then, of course, they went to uh, our former pit player, Danucci. And now they had Gilbert under center. Who's Gilbert? Do you even know who, who he is? Not going into that game, you probably didn't. If I said, tell me who the starting quarterback is for the Steelers, you would not say Garrett Gilbert. But Garrett Gilbert wasn't bad. Completing 21 of 31 passes for 243 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And if you think about also on the running side, the Ravens last week had 265 yards rushing, and the Cowboys ran them for 144, a buck 44. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm watching the game with my family. This is two straight weeks that the Steelers have won, but haven't played their best game. And actually, that goes to, as Coach Tomlin said, excuse me, the mental toughness. That goes to the mental toughness of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Try not to, if you're still a Steelers, you're not either. But if you're looking at this in the bigger context of the NFL, this means that they know how to win ugly. That's all it means. Doesn't mean they're not a great team. You know, as I thought about what I wanted to say about this team today, it's like, well, does that mean that the Chiefs are actually the best team because they only have one loss? No, you got to have the undefeated team at the top of the power rankings. You should. Big Ben was banged up in the game, but he fought through it, being a leader. But these are the type of wins that build up your character. The fact that you can win when you aren't supposed to win, when you're not playing your best, that's what you got in the Steelers. Bottom line is they got the W. That's all that matters. As they matriculate through the rest of the season, especially if they stay undefeated, are you going to look at this team and say, oh, well, you know, at the same time, uh uh-oh, Ben's chiming in. What you got, Bo? I was just going to say, you know, if you're Mike Tomlin, if you're a Steelers fan, how concerned are you that the Cowboys' fourth-string quarterback looks better than Mason Rudolph, your backup? <laughs> I mean, you have you have Big Ben, who's been in the league for, what, almost 20 years now. He's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, but he's continually banged up week in, week out. He powers through the pain this week. But this has to be a major concern for the Steelers going forward if they want to continue this. Well, I mean, you're right. You're right. But it's you shouldn't have Gilbert slicing up the defense like this. But it's almost like like I was going to say, if you go to the season, even you in the season, you know, uh, and only two losses or one loss, are you going to look at these two and say, 
oh, they they won them. So it's almost like you're not even going to pay attention. Just move on to the next game. By the end of the season, you won't remember it. I just hope that this is like one of those things where these could have been the two games at Baltimore and at the Cowboys that they could have lost, traveling east, then west, and they end up winning them. And now it's like, okay, we went through our rough patch. Now they're going to coast. Yes? Well, I mean, are they going to coast? We'll see. If Ben is really hurt and, you know, he had the elbow issue last year. He supposedly he's back better than ever. He comes back, and I guess it was a leg yesterday that kind of held him out for a little bit towards the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. How healthy is he? You know, going towards the end of the season, and even you know, looking towards next year, there is no backup plan at quarterback right now. Mason Rudolph has not shown anything. I mean, he got a majority of the chance last year with Ben Hurd. Yeah. Hasn't shown any progression this year in the limited time we saw him against the Cowboys. Yeah, it's um you're 100% right. I mean, in my in 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 my looking ahead or at their schedule, I only see two games that they need to worry about. Two games, and that's Baltimore on November 26th. And they play at the Bills December 13th. But that's not fair. And you're right, Ben. I'm sitting here looking ahead, and realistically, we probably shouldn't do that, especially if, as you mentioned, what if Big Ben is hurt? What if he's hurt? And you're looking at the Steelers trying to I mean, I mean, now you get to rest, Ben, so I guess that, that's a good thing. But you're trying not to look too far ahead at what games can we rest him. And if for some reason, and forgive me, I don't know what's going on with my computer here. Um, I thought I had the, the schedule pulled up. I don't see where I wrote it down. But next week's opponent for the Steelers if there was any way to say, hey, can we give Big Ben a rest? But you can't. You cannot, you cannot allow them to get a rest. You need them as they uh, as the Bengals, the Bengals at the Steelers, two five and one Bengals. You've got a great young quarterback who was in college last year for the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow. And now here you are in a situation where maybe you can say, oh, Brittany Zamora said, Steelers should call Kaepernick to back up Ben. (laughs) What? How crazy would that be if Colin Kaepernick was in a Steelers uniform? Thank you, Brittany. Thank you. Keep the chat coming. We can chat all day about football. But the thing is, like, if Mason Rudolph isn't the answer and Big Ben is banged up and you're 8-0, that becomes a question. Do you even play him? Do you see we need do you say we need to preserve the 8-0? Or do you see a future where you say, you know what? We're just gonna have to let the record go. And we're just gonna go with Mason Rudolph. We're playing a 2-5-1 Bengals team next week. We can win that game. We can win that game with a Mason Rudolph. And if you can't, 
if you can't, then yeah, you, you may have a problem there. And maybe to Brittany's point, hey, Colin, you, you can suit up, you can suit up. I mean, it'd be a great story. It would be, but I don't, I don't, obviously, I don't, realistically, it's kind of crazy to think that it's not like Colin could play next week, but maybe if he needed to back up Mason Rudolph, maybe that's what he would do. But the Steelers don't look better than Kansas City. They don't. But I'm going to end Steelers talk on this quote from Eric Ebron, who, by the way, is my fantasy football tight end. So thank you, Eric. Another great game. Got me some points. Quote from Eric Ebron. Every time we face adversity, we fight. Honestly, that's the only thing I can tell you. I don't give up. I try to pump so much energy into this team. I feel like it works. I feel like it all comes together. In the end, I wouldn't bet against us. At the end of the day, I would not bet against us. End quote. So just don't bet against them. They're undefeated. Steelers are going to do what the Steelers do. And right now, they're doing something that's amazing. That's never been done in Steelers franchise history. And that is obviously, if, if, if you don't know how um, the Steelers are the premier franchise, I'm sure some would say the Cowboys. But I think when you look at what the Steelers the controversy off the field and on the field, I think Steelers are number one, number one franchise. Number of Super Bowls, you know, the the history of the ownership group, the 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 coaches, the players, the Hall of Fame players that have come through here. Steelers are number one, hands down. Now let's go to the next game. The Bills. The Bills beat the Seattle Seahawks and they look good. They look good. They beat the Seattle Seahawks 44 to 34. They're seven and two. Now the Seattle team, this is the third time they've traveled west to east. So at some point, it's like, it's going to catch up with them. You could definitely say that. It was going to catch up with them. It was a slow start for Seattle. And I, don't, and I shouldn't say that to take away from the Bills. They played well. But if you're Seattle and you score 34 points, you should win. But Buffalo was up 14 to nothing in the first quarter. Bang, bang, bang. Boom. They're up. Seattle was the league's top scoring offense going into that game. And when you score 34 points, you still are considered the top scoring offense in the league. But the Bills bested them with 44 points. It's the first 7-2 start since 1993. And that was one of the years of the four that the Buffalo Bills went to four straight Super Bowls with Jim Kelly as a quarterback. And the Bills went to the Super Bowl that year, 1993. A lot of records this year. I don't know if it's a COVID thing, maybe. And Josh Allen, a sad story for him. His grandmother died Saturday night. And the quote that stood out to me from the Bills head coach is he called Josh Allen mentally, he's a mentally tough young man. So here we go, mentally tough again. He had a career performance, 415 passing yards, 31 of 38, 
three touchdowns, no interceptions. And the crazy thing is that one was without a running game. Without a running game. If you add them up, you had 19 rushes. Zach Moss, 18 yards. Josh Allen, the quarterback, 14 yards. Isaiah McKenzie, one yard. Devin Singletary, one yard. So no rushing game all through the air. And they beat a Seahawks team and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was 28 of 41. 390 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. So that wasn't a bad game for him. And they too didn't have a running game. DJ Dallas, 31 yards. Travis Homer, 16 yards. Russell Wilson, five yards. Alex Collins, five yards. Everything was in the air. DK Metcalf didn't let down. Seven receptions, 108 yards, one touchdown. But that was an amazing performance by Buffalo. And, and then you obviously add that to the fact that this is one of the teams that the Steelers are going to have to face. They may have circled that game on their calendar, 12-13 at the Bills. If they stay undefeated, you know, you got these benchmark games, November 26th against, at home against Baltimore and 12-13, December 13th at the Bills is another tough one. A tough thing for me to stomach in, in some ways, because if you've listened to this show, you know I'm not a Kirk Cousins fan. I'm not a Kirk Cousins fan. But Minnesota won again at three and five. It's all Dalvin Cook, really. I just want to put that out there. Another two touchdown game for Dalvin Cook. The Falcons win again. And I just, I, I just, I'm like, is this a thing that they can come back? I mean, the Vikings are three and five. The Green Bay Packers are six and two. So it seems like it's not possible, but you just kind of add wins, add wins, add wins. But Minnesota's almost said, okay, let's put Kirk Cousins aside. Let's slow him down a little bit, and we're going to give it to Dalvin Cook. He's healthy. We're going to go with our running game. The Bears are sliding. They've lost three in a row. The Vikings have won two in a row. It's a long shot when you look at the Saints and Bucks at 6-2 and two and 6-3, and three respectively. Somebody in the NFC East is going to have to be in the playoffs, but – you know, I, I guess the Eagles are three and four, so they're close to 500. They can have a winning season. But then the NFC West, you've got the Seahawks, Cardinals, and Rams at six and two, five and three, and five and three. So it's going to be tough for the Saints, excuse me, the Vikings to get in the playoffs. But, but if they can string some wins together, you know, maybe they end up in the conversation. And the Falcons are three and six. But if you remember going into last week's game, I talked about how a few bounces here and there, they could have been four and three going into uh, their game last week. And now they win again, three and six. Three and six as they beat the Denver Broncos 34 to 27. 
I mean, I'm not going to go so crazy and be like, oh, you never know. But I guess in some ways you never know. And the Saints. Oh, boy. The Saints marched into Tampa and destroyed, destroyed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay's hurting right now. Tampa Bay is definitely hurting. I don't even know what else to really say about this game. I mean, it was such a dud. New Orleans was up 14-0 early. Then they scored another 17 in the second quarter. The weather was bad. It was on my text change with text chain with my friend saying, oh, it looks bad down in Tampa Bay. Hope my good friend Casey Phillips is going to be okay down there covering the game. But it wasn't much of a game to cover. So I'm going to move right along. I'll just say, look, is this a thing that the Saints have the Bucks number or is this going to be a trend? And it can't become a trend until we see what happens with the Bucks the next game. Tom Brady looked like an older quarterback, wasn't the same. Oh, Ben's chiming in. You want you want a stat for this? Okay, what's the stat? 19 seasons Tom Brady's been in the NFL, right? Yeah. How many times has he been swept by a divisional opponent? Ooh, ooh, twice? I mean, I don't know. The AFC East has always been so bad. I'm going to say twice. What? Zero. Never. This is the first time the New Orleans Saints beating the Bucks twice. First time Tom Brady has been swept by a divisional opponent. That's wow. what happens when you're playing the Dolphins, Bills, and Jets every year. Well, I've, listen, listen. I, I could add this in devil's advocate. So we could go on forever. But I've always said that one of the main things that makes Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, the luster to me is kind of like, eh, because the division's always been so bad. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that's what made this matchup so intriguing is because, one, you have these two quarterbacks going back and forth in the all-time touchdown race, right? When mm-hmm. one throws one, they take the lead. When, you know, the other one comes back and throws two more the next night, they leapfrog them. Oops. Um, when do we start having the conversation? Is Breeze right up there with Brady? Because I feel like that's kind of been slept on throughout Drew Breeze's career. Well, the, so it's funny that you you bring that up. I I would say no one can be where Brady is because the number of Super Bowls he's appeared in. So I, I think you can do a 1-1-A, but as I've always said, even before I started doing this show, I always would say, how has Ben Roethlisberger not up there with Breeze? I mean, Breeze has the passing record, and now he's got he's got the most touchdowns. For now. For now. For now. But, I, you know, I would say yes. But I would say, I would contend it should be Brady, Ben, Breeze, Manning, Rogers. That's where I have my top five. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, 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 sorry. I forgot Russell. Russell goes in after Roethlisberger. Ooh, as as three. As three. And Ooh. then I go with Breeze. Because I, I think I maybe I'm too heavily adding in the Super Bowls and the appearances, yeah. but I think I'm trying to take the totality of the seasons that they've had. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger's never had a losing season. Like, yeah. when are you going to give this guy the respect he deserves as a quarterback? 
and we yeah. don't. No, I, I I don't think. I mean, obviously, I've been indoctrinated living in <laughs> Pittsburgh now, but I mean, it's it's really I think uh, you know eye opening to kind of experience Ben up close. You know, he's got personality things that maybe rub people the wrong way. There's you know some stuff in the past that obviously turns some heads. But when you talk about the ability to sustain success like he and Mike Tomlin have, it's mm-hmm. it's really something incredible. And when it comes to Breeze, I think I give him a lot of credit for you know almost reviving his career after leaving San Diego. I mean, you look at what happened with the whole Eli Manning, Philip Rivers thing, where you know Manning didn't want to go play for San Diego because mm-hmm. of you know Archie's experience in New Orleans. And that ends up kind of opening the door for Breeze to leave to let Rivers in. And Breeze ends up in New Orleans, you know, Archie Manning's shadow. And, you know, comes back and has this amazing, successful career with the Saints. You're talking about the all-time leader in passing yards. You're talking about the all-time leader in passing touchdowns. You know, yeah, only one Super Bowl appearance, but one win. I mean, how many times do you look at those, you know, weak defenses New Orleans put out? You look at the, you know, um, you know, everything that they've gone through with the, the pass interference a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does how do you factor the whole team kind of performance into Breeze's position as an all-time great quarterback? And and I think that the the reason why I heavily weight Super Bowls is because that's the ultimate goal is to win Super Bowl. No quarterback will say, and that includes Dan Marino. If you ask, we had Dan Marino on the show. Are you okay that you didn't win a Super Bowl? But, well, before Drew Brees, you had more passing yards than any other quarterback. What, what Would you trade it for? So, yeah, I would. I won a Super Bowl. And I know Brees has one, but Roethlisberger, Manning have two. Roethlisberger's even lost one, so he could have three. Who knows the way the way this year's going? That would be that would be you know one one heck of a ride into the sunset for Ben. Yeah, and this may be it this this year. And speaking of riding off in the sunset, this may be Ben's last year. Thanks, Bo. You're gonna come right back and talk college football. Oh, I guess I got to do my Monday night football pick. All right, we'll move on because we we got a lot of show left to do. We're gonna get some college football in Monday night picks. We've got New England. Speaking of New England, but no Brady. They are at they are at the New York Jets. They're favored at minus 10, over under at 41 and a half. Money line, New England minus 480. New York Jets at plus 390. Let me give you some stats here you need to help make an informed decision. Inform bet. This is for your viewing and betting pleasure. New England Patriots are 8-0 straight up and 5-3 and against the spread in their last eight games against the Jets. So just go with New England. All right, I gave you all the help you need. Let's move on. Okay, okay, I got a couple of other things, but you could move on from that. I gave you the one thing you need is the fact that the New England Patriots are 8-0 straight up in their last game against the Jets, and the Jets are 0-8. So there's nothing, no something's got to give. We know what's going to happen. The Patriots are going to give it to the New York Jets because the New York Jets also don't want to win a game so they can get Trevor Lawrence, right? Cam Newton's not the same. Cam Newton's not the same. We will admit that. We will admit that. But these are the New York Jets. And the New York Jets 
are 0-8 straight up, 1-7 against the spread, with an average margin of defeat of 18 points. 18 points. And the New York Jets are in a Trevor Lawrence state of mind. So they're going to lay down. They're going to lay down. What, what are you winning for at this point? You're not. So my pick is New England's going to win. But the surprise here is I do think the Jets will cover. I think the Jets will cover. I'm thinking it's going to be like a six, seven-point win for New England. So New England wins, Jets cover. Over, under, I'm going to go with the under as well. Let's see how I do. All right. Up next, Bo knows college football. But first, a read. BetMGM is the new online sportsbook that has taken over the online betting nation. Not only does BetMGM have some of the best odds on all the major sports, but they also offer some of the industry's strongest weekly promos. This week at BetMGM, you can get a free $20 in-play wager when you bet $50 or more on any live NFL game, which includes tonight, New England at New York Jets. Or you can get up to $100 in free bets in the free-to-play Pick 3 First Touchdown NFL Challenge. And as always, you'll get $10 in free bets in the Money Monday Club. It's Monday. Money Monday Club. You got to get in. But that's not all. Right now, I bet MGM has a special signing bonus for the Props Network listeners. All you have to do is create a new account at BetMGM and use the code JUSTSPORT20. That's for just for sport. Just for 20 to get a 100% match on your first deposit up to $500. That's right. Just enter the code just for 20 and up to $500 bonus bankroll is yours. You're welcome. You're welcome. Just use the code just for 20. Must be 21 and over to bet. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Then call 1-800-GAMBLER today. All right, we're going to college. We're going down 11. Down a level. Gosh, I'm Bo, when you come on here, please save me. I got to stop talking for a little bit. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Bo, it was a weekend that I've got to say I apologize to, uh, to Pitt. I, I, I should have went with my heart which is the University of Pittsburgh. And I said FSU would win. And boy, did they, did they not win. 41 to 17. How much did you enjoy that game? I mean, a ton. <laughs> I, first of all, I have to say, when I said under 50 last week, <laughs> that, was before, that was before it was announced that Kenny Pickett would be starting again. Okay, so okay. I'd like to put that out there first and foremost. I will take credit for Pitt Moneyline, however. Um, I mean, this was Pitt's biggest win, biggest road win, I think, since 2012. The start of Narduzzi. No, that might be. I think that was before Narduzzi. Before Narduzzi. That was under Paul Christ, I want to say. Um, I mean, this was a bad Florida State team, right? But this is this has been the problem for Pitt in the last couple of years is they play down to bad teams, especially on the road. But what we saw on Saturday – was a team that went down, first of all, 14-3. to three. They were losing by two scores to Florida State, and then I think scored, I guess, you know, almost 24 unanswered points to go ahead and, and win that game by, you know, three-plus touchdowns. I mean, that was as dominating a performance as we've seen from them since that week one 
thrashing of Austin P. We saw the defense basically pitch a second half shutout. So, you know, we talked about Paris Ford last week and how his opt-out would affect this team. Brandon Hill steps right up. He has a pick six in his first start in his college career. You're seeing great play from the linebackers. Servassier Dennis having a fantastic game. This is a pit defense that now leads the, leads the nation in tackles for loss per game. They're fifth in the country in sacks per game. I think they had seven sacks against Florida State. You know, you saw Jordan Travis have one, you know, really nice long touchdown run. I want to say like 85 yards, 88 yards, something like that. But besides that, he finished with 83 rushing yards. He had an 88-yard touchdown run. And, and that was it. With 88 rushing <laughs> yards. Because, you know, the NCAA counts sacks yards as rushing yards for some yeah. ridiculous yeah. reason. That's a whole other conversation we can get into. But, I mean, this was a dominating performance by the def- by the pit defense. And this is what they're going to need to show throughout the rest of the day. Going to Georgia Tech next week, they coming back home first versus Virginia Tech before taking on Clemson to finish the season. This is a team that still wants to finish above 500, that wants to get to a bowl and achieve something in a year where they had such high expectations. They play like they did against Florida State. They're going to have a shot. Which is the sad thing is I don't, I mean, I take this as FSU blew the game more than Pitt won it. And is that fair to say that? I mean, because Pitt has been so bad and you just have two bad teams playing. Well, I, I think I think a reason, first of all, you have to give so much credit to Kenny Pickett. You saw just instantly how much this team changed when he returned under center. You, you give a, you know credit to Joey Yellen for what he was able to do over the last two games, you know, stepping in obviously in an uncomfortable spot. But Kenny Pickett didn't lose that Boston College game, right? Kenny mm-hmm. Pickett basically gave them a chance to win in overtime and Kessman mixed, missed the extra point. You know, you look at NC State, could Pickett, you know, the first loss of this four-game losing streak that Pitt just ended, could they, could the offense and Pickett probably have done more? Sure. But the defense had an opportunity with, you know, a minute, 20 seconds left and no timeouts for the Wolfpack to stop NC State from driving down the field and scoring the winning touchdown, and they didn't. So at the end of the day, I don't put, you know, any of the blame for the struggles this season on Pickett particularly. And I think you saw, we all saw how just instantly his presence as a leader and as the quarterback of this offense revitalized this team and gives them a shot. I am not going to say that FSU, you know, blew this game because I really think that Florida State is just not a very good football team this year. I think Mike Norvell needs time to really fix that offensive line. They've been atrocious for the last three seasons. You know, going back to the last year under Jimbo Fisher with Willie, before Willie Taggart came in, this is a Florida State team that still needs a major rebuilding project. And I think Pitt finally was able to come in and dominate like they expected to against the Florida State team that's just not the same level of competition. They are not. And, and, but to think of the, the, the history of that program to be where they are over the past it's, four it's, or five seasons, it's bad. I mean, if you had told me five years ago when Jameis Winston and Jimbo Fisher were running up the score, you know, fun fact, that, um, I guess, what was that, 20, 2014 maybe? Whenever Jameis and the Knowles won that national championship, mm-hmm. it was the only team to have a lead on them that year. <laughs> they, they scored first in the, force, in the first quarter. <laughs> first quarter. You know, and whatever, whatever else happened. That's a good set. That's a good set. The only team to have a lead on them that year. 
Um, if you had told me back then that this is how far uh, the Knowles would fall after after Jimbo, you know, up and left, it's I mean, it's just shocking. Yeah, I remember they called it Taggart Hassey, Taggart Hassey, and it's just I thought I thought that would be a good hire. Yeah, you know, but I think you really have to look at, at what Fisher um, kind of left behind. The, mm-hmm. the the cabinet was empty. Yeah, the cupboard was empty. Yeah, that's that's the expression. <laughs> let's let's go to the next game. Notre Dame, the number four team in the country, upsets the number one team in the country in the Clemson Tigers in a double overtime win, forty-seven to forty. The game was amazing in the fact that how long it went. You love the double overtime, but to me, to see Trevor Lawrence on the sideline, I was just like. Yeah. Okay, and then the other thing is like you were number four in the country. Like, how can you be so excited? You beat number one. Like, like okay. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously that raises a lot of alarm bells. Um, You know, when you see Lawrence on the sideline, when you see the students kind of storming the field, there's going to be a lot of questions raised about the security and everything. When you talk about the mentality, um, you know, you want to talk. Let me just give you an example here: the Oakland Zoo, right? Pitt's basketball student section. Never storms the court at the peak. Mm-hmm. Never. No matter who you beat, no matter the ranking, no matter what, they never storm the court because the expectation is when you come into the peak, when you come into our house, we expect to win. We expect to give you that performance. And I think I think it tells you a lot about you know Notre Dame and their presence in the ACC that maybe they didn't expect to win that game against Clemson. And, you know, I, I will, first of all, apologize, I guess, because I've been a Notre Dame hater. I've been a doubter of Ian Book and the Irish throughout this entire season. And at some point, I do have to step back and say, look, this is a good football team. This is a good football team. You know, sure, they're playing the Clemson team without their quarterback, which I don't think is as big of an issue as some of the defensive line issues they had. I think uh, not Xavier Rhodes. They're missing some um, one of their top defensive linemen, but I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I think that's a bigger loss for the Tigers and Sweeney than, than Lawrence because, you know, William Galele, a fantastic performance from, you know, big DJ, big Cinco um, under center, 400, I think 421 passing yards, was it? The most against the Irish. Um, I mean, it was a great performance. The, the overtime was fantastic. The first play should have been a touchdown. Um you know, I guess they reviewed it and called it just short and you were able to get it on the second try. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to me to see, you know, if Clemson comes back, bounces back from this loss to, to win out and set up that rematch in Charlotte in the ACC title game, of course, with Notre Dame in the ACC as an actual conference member, they're going to now seem there. It seems like they're basically a lot to go mm-hmm. to their first ACC title game this year. Um, and I really hope that we get that rematch. I'll be pretty disappointed, I think, if Miami or UNC um, is able to to book book that because I want I want a second playing of this game. And who knows if if that conference championship game is as tight is as competitive as the one we saw the other night. Maybe we have two ACC teams in the playoff. Yeah, and and I, and I would I would like to see that too. Notre Dame is by far the one school that I have followed and 
really. I mean, I still have my little mini Irish helmet that I bought when when I went to cover Pitt playing at Notre Dame back in 2004, three, maybe. Like it, I mean, to be there, to not just be at the stadium, but to literally be I was at the goalpost with my camera as the players are yeah. running past me to go in the field to start the game. It's just like I could, I had to pinch myself. Like I am here right now. Like that was amazing. And I just, I just, I like to see them doing well. I think I like it even more that they're in the ACC and I hope that they stay there next season. But this is the game that we need to have to determine gets into the 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 bowl game and represent the ACC whether that's the national championship or not I want it to be I want it to be one of these two teams and 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 that's just that would be the fitting ending to it unlike last week where we only had one top 25 matchup we had BYU beating Boise State 51 to 17 uh Florida beating UGA 44 to 28, Indiana beating Michigan. Uh, Indiana's ranked 13th, Michigan's ranked 23rd. What does that say to you? Uh, uh, are, have you determined anything from any of these games that excited you in college football? And the question I brought, the question I had is: Is Indiana for real? Of all of those teams, that's the one that I never expected to be where they are. Yeah. I mean, I will get to, to Indiana in a minute. First, I think you do have to look at the SEC matchup, that top 10 matchup between Florida and Georgia, because you have to look at, again, that's another game, kind of like the pit game, where Georgia got out to a hot start and Florida comes out, I want to say, 31 unanswered points between the second and third quarter. Kyle Trask leading that Florida offense looks very, very very good. Kyle Pitts is an absolute weapon out of the tight end position. I mean, this is a Florida team under Dan Mullen that has been known for its defense, right? But all of a sudden this year, you have a true Heisman contender in Kyle Trask, and they look at it's not easy to put up 44 points on Kirby Smart and Georgia's defense. It's not easy. You know, I think Alabama got close to that. I don't know if they hit 44. I thought it was like maybe 42, 41. I don't remember the score off the top of my head. But, I mean, that's that's an accomplishment. I think that's going to open some eyes. Um, I think Alabama-Florida in the SEC um, championship game is going to be very interesting. Uh, you know, you mentioned BYU. Zach Wilson looks like a first-rounder at quarterback. Uh, you know, I don't think BYU has gone onto the Smurf turf up in Boise. I don't think they've won there in, you know, something like 20 years. BYU looks like a real contender. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, who gets that, you know, if if either them or Cincinnati, both teams um, undefeated and ranked in the top 10 now, if either of them have a sniff at getting into the playoff, maybe, you know, if you do have, you know, a one or two loss Clemson, that kind of helps their case there. But I think BYU is the real deal. They showed it this week. And then you mentioned Indiana, another team that does look like the real deal. They, they will jump up to number 10 in this week's uh, AP poll ranking, Tom Allen. I mean, this you're talking about a guy, the head coach of the Hoosiers, who took over after, you know, the previous coach was let go because of some, you know, accusations in terms of mistreatment of players. He was the defensive coordinator, you know, a, a Hugh Freeze guy. 
uh, down at Ole Miss, I believe. I mean, this is a guy who comes in and takes over a program that's just kind of middling. It's, you know, low in the Big Ten. You have to play teams like Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State every year. And they've had some success, but Indiana has never been able to finish the job against those teams. They're 3-0. and They beat Penn State week one. They come out, they handle Michigan this week. I think this is an Indiana team that is for real. Michael Penix Jr. is a fantastic quarterback. You look at the other, one of the other, I guess, one of the two other undefeated teams in the Big Ten. Of course, you have Ohio State, but then you have Northwestern, who handled business against Nebraska. Their quarterback, Peyton Ramsey, where did he transfer from? Indiana. Indiana. Why did he transfer? Because Michael Penix Jr. is the real deal and was going to take over as the true number one starter after being hurt last season. Ramsey stepped in, did very well in fill and duty, but deserved a shot to go somewhere else in conference and get the chance to prove that he's a number one quarterback. And he's doing that at Northwestern. But Michael Penix Jr. is doing fantastic. And that defense for Indiana is very good. And, you know, Michigan, I think, I do think that this win says more about Indiana than Michigan. But I think serious questions are going to have to be asked about Harbaugh and where this program is in, in, in under under Jim Harbaugh as their head coach. It's unfortunate too because really he's only underperformed for the most part against o- Ohio State. I mean, and Michigan State. And yeah. Michigan State. But if you beat Ohio State, similar to when the Washington football team beats the Cowboys, you're like, okay, I'm cool with the season, yeah. whatever happens. And yeah, we- <laughs> and he hasn't he hasn't even done he that. He can't do it. He can't do it. Um, I am really confused by the rankings. They are what they are in college football especially because of the record. You know, you got an Alabama team at the top at 6-0. and uh, But of the undefeated teams, you also got Indiana undefeated at 3-0. and And it's like, wait, what? What? Yeah. It just looks weird. And now Notre Dame's jumping Ohio State to two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and Ohio State only has three games under their belt, and they haven't lost yet. So it'll be interesting if a BYU or Cincinnati, who are undefeated, should be able to jump up there. Uh, Bo, you definitely know your college football. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, coming up, we are going to talk about one sport that I have never played, never, ever, ever played, but I enjoy the beauty of the game. And the other that I said, okay, if I ever play one professional sport that I feel like I might have been the best at, it was this one. It was this one. And I say that to say um, that I don't know why I let this stake stick in my crawl, but we're going to talk about the Red Sox and Alex Cora after this read. ThePropsNetwork.com is a place where bets begin. No, The Props Network isn't a sports book. It's where smart bettors and new players go before, before the sports book. Why? Because The Props Network has a few things that all bettors need. Exclusive sign-up bonuses, reporting on weekly promos, free betting picks, and live odds comparisons for every single game. A visit to ThePropsNetwork.com before placing a bet guarantees that you'll be wagering with the best available bonus and getting the biggest possible payout if your bets hit. It's pretty good. But the Props Network isn't just another bonus site. We've also got great content. Follow the Props Network on social media, YouTube, and Twitch for updates all week from me on Just for Sport 
and the rest of our Props Network team. Get ready to bet with the Props Network today. You must be 21 or over the bet. Do you or someone you know have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER today. So we're talking about the Masters. And the first thing I see, first questions I have is, who's going to win it? I have no idea. And I don't. I know it's not a thing where you're expecting to listen to this show to hear me talk about the Masters. But the thing for me is, I don't even know why I'm not really a golf person. And I love the Masters. And I love golf. And I guess it comes from a weird place that, you know, I feel like it's just so cool to be outside and you're just kind of amongst the elements and the trees. And as I mentioned last week, I learned to play fling golf because I never really got into the golf thing. And I love putt-putt too. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you're never going to go for most of your life. You're at least mine, I'm, I don't see myself ever getting down to Augusta and being able to watch a game or, excuse me, watch the, the tournament. But I remember living in Atlanta for a while and a lot of um, the people for, at the company that I work for, this was in April. Like, oh, I, work just kind of stopped. It just kind of stopped when the Masters was around. And so the allure of this tournament was always exciting to me. And then I read that Sergio Garcia withdraws from the Masters after positive tests. I hope this isn't the way the week is going to start. And then you're going to find more and more players that are going to drop out. So then I said, uh, it is a tradition unlike any other. And it's the only one I would love to go to if... It was fair of me, someone who doesn't really follow golf that much to even say, oh yeah, but I wanna go. SMC says Brady got exposed. And Brady did get exposed. But here are the favorites. Bryson DeChambeau at plus 900. Dustin Johnson at plus 900. John Rahm at plus 1100. Justin Thomas at plus 1250. Roy McIlroy at plus 1400. Xander Schoflake. See, I do know the game. You probably didn't expect I'd be able to say that. At plus 1600. I probably still said it wrong. Bruce Kepka at plus 1700. Terrell Hatton at plus 2500. You know the player I don't see on here that I wanted to see up there, and he's at plus 4,500. So I would take him every single day. Would that be Tiger was at plus 4,500? The, the reigning champion. The reigning champion. Plus 4,500. Is that fair? Is that fair to have him so low? Or I like him so low because then I'm just going to take him and I got a chance. I got a chance to get a sleeper, Bo. I mean, I think, I think you're always going to take that value on Eldrick. Why not? Why not? Yeah. I mean, who do you have winning it? Um, so the big question I think is, is Bryson, um, just because you saw what he did at Wingfoot in the U S open. I mean, that was supposed to be a tournament that was going to be ridiculously challenging for every golfer in the field. And he just, you know, drove the green almost on every hole down the, on Saturday and Sunday in the last 36. 
what he was able to do to that, that golf course was simply ridiculous. I'm interested. I'm not, you know, one of those guys um, that's going to love Bryson for everything he does. I think the way he's changing the game is, you know, almost alarming. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of adapts, but you know, how, how his game adapts to Augusta and everything that that course is, is, is really going to be interesting to watch as the weekend unfolds. My pick, I think I'm actually, I'm between two, right? I'm between Xander. Um, you, you got, you got pretty close there on the pronunciation, but I think my top pick is probably JT at, uh, what did you say? Plus 1250. Yeah. I think that's pretty good value for Thomas. Um, he's been playing some pretty good golf over the last couple of months. I think, the one thing that alarms me, I'm always going to, you know, sprinkle a little something on Tiger here and there. Um, but he hasn't, I mean, he hasn't played in the last couple of weeks. I think he was thinking about playing Houston this past weekend, but decided not to. I think the last time he didn't look great at Wingfoot in the open. He hasn't really looked like he's playing his best golf, unlike last year, where I think he was getting hot right at the right time, was able to come in and just put out a vintage performance at Augusta, which was just, I mean, chilling and beautiful to watch at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Thomas is, is, has been looking good over the last you know, month and a half, two months of tournaments. Um, I, I'm, I like to see uh, what JT is going to bring in this week. I, I also like that you can pick top five and top 10. So if you, you could pick Justin Thomas at plus 335, you're like, okay, yeah. maybe he'll end up in the top five. That's pretty neat. Is it Xander Schofel? I think it's Schofley. 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 Xander Schofley. And the thing is, if you look at Bryson, every, every young player after Tiger, oh, he's going to be the one. Yeah. Ricky Fowler is going to be the one. Rory uh, Rory's going to be the one. No one was ever the one. And the thing is, it isn't just the one that wins tournaments, but I think it's the one that changes the game. And I think with Bryson, how big he is and the way he approaches the game and, 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 and using more of analytics, so to speak. I don't know if that's fair to say he's the first one to use analytics, but I think that's the level where he's going to change the game. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, they, they don't call him the mad scientist for nothing, right? <laughs> I mean, he, the, his approach, you know, between everything from the one length irons to, you know, his driving approach and grip, it's its different. I think it's its like you said, you know, Tiger changed the game and his approach and his domination of the entire field, you know, from start to finish. And I think Bryson is going to change a lot of things with the way he drives the ball and the way he, you know, approaches his, his practice and his, you know, the way he hones his own game. Um, and I do think that, I think that's a really good point of a way to put it of, you know, when we talk about who's the next, you know, real icon of the game, who's going to follow in, in Tiger's footsteps as that singular icon of golf. It's going to be, mm -hmm. you know, who changes the game. And so far at this moment in time, it is Bryson DeChambeau. It's Bryson DeChambeau. Let's see what happens there. Um, thank you, Bo. Something else that happened is the Boston Red Sox rehired their former manager, Alex Cora. And we'll get into more of the Masters on Thursday. Hey, best day to have a show, right? It's the first round of the Masters, first day when they tee it off. But I'm teed off about this Alex Cora hire. And I shouldn't be. 
but I am because there is a big part of me that just feels like we are at I maybe I just don't understand the 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 sign stealing that it's not a big deal. Is that where I am? That it's okay that Alex Cora, listen, 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 listen. It's not just that Alex Cora was a part of the sign stealing. He was a coach and was a ringleader of the banging of the trash cans in ordering of the monitor that the that the the replay room and the players could see live a camera that showed the signs i just don't think a year suspension is enough he and carlos beltran were at the forefront of bringing that into the astros cup don't tell me that the astros oh well they were still good without it no they had only won what 88 86 games before 2017, and those that coach and Alex Cora and that player and Carlos Beltran single-handedly changed that franchise. That next year they what won? Won what? 107, 106 games? And you could say, oh well, but they still could have won without it. They were still winning without it. It doesn't change the fact that that helped them win games. They might not have made the playoffs without the cheating. Now I do like, I do like this quote from Alex Cora, quote, this past year, I've had time to reflect and evaluate many things. And I recognize how fortunate I am to lead this team once again, not being a part of the game of baseball and the pain of bringing negative attention to my family and this organization was extremely difficult. I am sorry for the harm my past actions have caused, and I will work hard to make this organization and its fans is where I've always wanted to be and I cannot be more excited to help the Red Sox achieve our ultimate goal of winning in October. And obviously Alex Cora was a player back in the day. Chame Bloom, who's running the Red Sox organization now, said Alex Cora is an outstanding manager and the right person to lead our club into 2021 and beyond. So am I the outlier? Are you the outlier if you're outraged about sign stealing in baseball? That it just, okay, whatever. They steal signs and they got caught and that's it. But I think it's also the fact that this Red Sox organization, Rob Manfred, the Red Sox are obviously saying, yeah, we're okay with sign stealing. We got in trouble too already. And if Alex Cora is able to do it again and he doesn't get caught, okay, we're okay with that. We're okay with that. And I just don't know if I am, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm listening to this podcast and I've promote, talked about it before. It's called The Edge. It's by Ben Ryder and it examines the entire scandal of the Houston Astros. And it's been interesting listening to it and discovering new things about it. And this last episode, I'm on episode uh, six. I think it's it's six episodes, but episode six is a two-parter, so it's really seven episodes. And this had a lot of Jeff Lunau in it. A raw interview with Jeff was edited, but it was him after the fact where he was, you know, really kind of 
letting it all out there and talking about how he didn't know what was going on. And I, I don't want to excuse Jeff Lunau. This isn't about me saying Jeff Lunau was a part of it or not. But the bottom line is players and people in the front office all pointed their fingers at Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran. And I would be curious, and we'll never know. I mean, this season is going to happen possibly with fans when they come back in February for spring training and, you know, the baseball season goes on in 2021. But I am just curious how it's okay for sign stealing to be not just a part of the game, but it's like woven into the fabric now that it's okay. A.J. Hinch is now in Detroit. He's going to be managing. you telling me in a dugout he didn't know that they were banging the drums? Of course they did. Boston got in trouble before Alice Cora was a manager there for stealing signs, using technology. Where are we going? Where are we going in the end is, is what I want to know. And, and we're going to find out as the season goes along. We're going to find out. So. Let's move on to the next, my next segment. And I've got two things here in my devil's advocate. And I don't know if I, I, I couldn't decide on which one should be in them. So I'm going to keep them pretty short. Devil's advocate. Oh, we talk about betting here. We talk about lines and predictions and over-unders. And if you, you listen to the walk-on, they talked before election night last Tuesday about predictions for who's going to be the president of the United States, who's going to win certain Senate and House of Representative races and local elections. I just didn't enjoy it. I don't like it. The, pre, pre, the models back in April had Trump winning, but then by mid-April going into, way, into May, it was all Biden, 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 Biden. And it's just not the same. I just find that, you know, you can't bet on elections here in America, but you can overseas. And it was interesting to see the different models. But there's something about, to me, it's just too sacred to bet on when, when it's elections, when it's the country, the world at stake that it was kind of eye-opening to, to see it, to see the chance of winning change from, you know, Trump's up 53% to 47% for Biden in, in mid-March. And, you know, it going back and forth as it got to April and Trump was up and then there Biden was up, you know, uh, 51 to 49 and if you look at the different models, and that's stressful. It's stressful. And I just, I just, here I am on the Props Network saying, I just didn't like it. I don't like it. It's, you know, it's, it's something about, it's too important to so many people in, in our country that thinking of it as I'm going to put money on Trump or I'm going to put money on Biden, that's just tough to stomach. 
it's tough to stomach. But somebody out there overseas made money. Bo said, even election night, the odds swings were massive. Biden was like a plus 650 at some point. But I don't like playing with our country and the world like that. And, you know, you think about all of the different reasons why people are choosing to want to see Trump as a president or Biden as a president. Just didn't like watching it. What else I didn't like? This is another thing I didn't like. I didn't like seeing Trevor Lawrence on the sidelines in that Notre Dame-Clemson game. I know he tested positive and, and that was last week and he went through the 10-day period that it was okay for him to be there, but this is still something new. This is still something new. And I thought that Clemson you are, my guess is, acquiescing to a Trevor Lawrence who's saying, no, I don't want to stay home. I want to be, I want to go to Notre Dame with the team. And then maybe similar to Justin Turner with the Dodgers, no, now I want to be on the field with the team. I know he had a mask on, but I just, I just didn't like seeing it. And there were times I could have sworn he didn't have a mask on, but whatever. I didn't like seeing it. And then you double down. And a Notre Dame fan storming the field? Come on, you know they all weren't wearing masks. That was a super spreader event, hands down. And you know what's the worst part about it? All you Notre Dame students, if next week you find out that a player, a valuable player is not available, or coaches are not available because you all stormed the field, if even if you want to say security and the coaches, everybody got caught up, that's where it's going to hurt the most. And that's where, like Bo and I were talking about, we want to see a national championship game in the ACC between Notre Dame and Clemson with, with Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback for Clemson. You may not get that. What if all of a sudden, a week or two weeks from now, you find out that like five players tested positive for COVID because you stormed the field? And the players, obviously, they didn't quickly throw on masks. Oh, my gosh, the, play, the students are coming on the field. Less social distance. No, there was no social distancing. Shouldn't have done it. And I know when I looked on social media, there was all of the talk of, oh, well, the Notre Dame president set a great example going to the White House for that super spreader event. And on the other side, if you want to get political, then, you know, as once people found out that Biden had over 270 votes, then they were all, you know, out in the streets, some people wearing masks, some not, some social distancing, some not. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of going back and forth. But the bottom line is about setting an example. And an example was not set Saturday night. And it was probably exasperated because everybody wanted to see Saturday Night Live. And they were like, wait, what? All these people who don't watch college football were like, "What? wait, what's going on? What is this football game doing on? And who cares about... Notre Dame and Clemson right now. I want to see Saturday Night Live. Oh, wait, the local news? We got to wait another half hour because of local news? Then everybody was going in on the Notre Dame fans. So it got pretty bad if you were on Twitter like I was checking it out. But bottom line is the fans shouldn't have been there. Fans shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have stormed the field. Be like the Oakland Zoo, as Bo said. So I was thinking about sports you don't care about to end the show. 
And I stumbled upon, which sorry, I just had the page up and I lost it. So now I got to find it. The Pro Foot Volley Tour. That's a thing. That is a real thing. Who knew? Who knew that that is a sport? It combines soccer and volleyball. And I know it's almost winter in some places, but you can still play in Florida and California. But there's a whole tour, and it has two players that that you have to have a male and a female. Now, they put a stop to this 2020 season, um, and they're just now starting to play again. But you can play foot volley. That's what it's called is foot volley. I guess not foot volleyball. I, that's what I think it should be called, but there's a whole tour of it. So I'm going to try it next year when it gets warm. Uh, just look it up and may, maybe you can go play it. Uh, yeah, it's a sport you probably don't care about. But actually the funny thing is to add an additional part of that story, I actually saw it for the first time and I almost forgot to talk about it. When I was with the Wizards and we went to play a, a preseason game in Brazil, and our hotel was right on the beach in Rio de Janeiro. And I walked on the beach and I saw everybody kicking a, a volleyball and you, or you could use a soccer ball over the net. And that was the first place I saw it. And I was amazed. It actually was pretty fun. But you have to be, to me, way more talented to do that than volleyball. I think you could get away with playing soccer without having much experience. I think that that's okay. It's easy to kick a ball. But volleyball is hard. But then when you add to volley, volley, foot volley, that was a lot harder. They're very skilled, and, and I got to hand it to them. That was fun to watch. So there you go. That's the end of the show, everybody. We will not have a show on Thursday. I just want to say um, that I misspoke earlier when I know I talked about we'll be on with the Masters. But you got the tour junkies? You'll be able to hear the tour junkies talk about the Masters? So check them out on the Props Network. And, and of course, you're going to have the greatness that is Joel Walkowski on the Walker one. So don't worry. We got you covered here on the Props Network. Thank you very much for those of you that tuned in and, and, and watched. And me and, and Bo talk NFL, college football, golf, MLB. I had a great time. Hope you did too. You know what I'm going to say now. <laughs>